Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people into discipling relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. Today we are in week 3 of Path 9, the book of 1 Thessalonians. And this morning we'll be in chapter 3 and I'm joined, as usual, by Steve Winstead. Steve, good morning. Morning. And Steve, this morning we get to be joined by one of our newer pastors on staff, Wes Selectman. Wes, good morning. Thanks for being here. Appreciate you having me. Excited to be here. So... Uh, we begin in chapter 3 with this word, therefore, and uh, Steve, kind of doing it like we did uh, last last time where you have the ESV, I believe. I'm going to keep going in the CSV Great. just to give a little bit of a different interpretation along the way, and I believe Wes has the ESV as well. But beginning here in chapter 3, verse 1, with therefore, now, uh, one quick aside in all of our gospel journey groups, therefore is a a, a bit of a keyword for hermeneutics, which is a yep. fancy way of saying uh, a Bible study, the art and science of interpreting the scriptures. So when we see a therefore, we need to look backwards because mm-hmm. whatever he's about to say in, in chapter three is a continuation of the point he made previously in chapter two. Yeah, in chapter two, he sort of ended chapter two in the middle of a, of a discussion uh, of what's going on, and, and it's with the Thessalonians, and they're, they're enduring persecution. So where we're starting today is Paul is saying, we've been wondering how you're doing and wondering how things are going from for you because, you you know, we keep hearing these things. And we waited to the point that we had to send our very best to send Timothy. So when they reached Athens, is what he talks about here, they sent Timothy back to see how these new young converts in Thessalonica are doing. Yes, and I, you know, Wes, be curious your perspective on this. One thing that really jumps out to me in this beginning section of chapter three it is the 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 deep uh human normalcy of paul he is worried essentially about his friends yeah he's worried about the people he cares about and i feel like we can relate sometimes it's hard to read the letters of paul and not assume that he was almost always floating in this spiritual cloud of awareness of everything that god was doing that he didn't experience all but I mean, he's removed geographically with no real sense of how this church is doing, and he feels worry and concern and almost a sense of anxiety towards this church, just like we would. Yeah, I love how in in the midst of this letter, there's a lot of things going on. It's very others-focused, and you get the sense that Paul uh, cares deeply for the church of Thessalonica, as he should. He spent uh, a good amount of time with them, but... He is focused on other people at all times. He's concerned. It's, it moves him deep in his spirit, and uh, you see it all over this letter. And in fact, in verse nine, it says that that he, because they were standing fast in their faith, it brought them great joy. It brought Paul great joy. So he really wanted to know about their spiritual condition. Um, and very others focused. Yeah, that's a great point, and we'll uh, we're certainly going to uh, get to that verse nine that you are that you mentioned there here in a little bit. I wanted to. Uh, draw attention maybe a little more uh, focused here on verse 4 where it says in fact when we were with you now so he was with them he left he's worried about them since Timothy with this letter and here's what he says when we were with you we told you in advance that we were that you were we were going to experience affliction and as you know it happened it seems like for not just from this letter but but from from most of Paul's letters, if not all of them, part of his gospel presentation and part of his uh, uh, gospel proclamation and teaching of the scriptures was always accompanied with this normal teaching on suffering. Yeah, it was it was not 
it was not new. It was not foreign. I mean, it was almost as you were uh, uh, proclaiming the gospel to someone. At the same time, he was making sure they counted the cost of which he was living out in real time. Yeah, I think one of the things you're going to hear from Paul over and over again is for persecution is normal in the Christian life. And new believers, this church is new believers, they're young, and Paul is thinking about them worried like these new believers, persecution's coming, they're enduring persecution. Are they going to wonder, are we doing something wrong? Uh, have we missed something? Uh, what's going on here? And often new believers, even that will encounter, young believers will wonder whenever they become a Christian, things maybe get tougher, things get more challenging. Mm-hmm. And what we, sounds weird, we encourage them that this is, normal for the Christian, that persecution is what we endure and what we go through, and Christ is our great reward. He is so worth it, uh, even though the persecution is difficult and challenging. So that's what that's why Paul sends Timothy. He even, in, in verse 2 and 3, he's even given building Timothy up to the uh, Thessalonians so that they know when he comes that, hey, this is a guy that is one of my best. He has a uh, has a reputation because Paul uh, Timothy was a a, a younger uh, brother age wise, but he wanted them to know that Timothy, I'm sending him to you to check on you to encourage you. That's what I sent him for, and we wanted to hear how you're doing in the midst of persecution. And one thing that uh, Wes, I know about you is is a deep desire and heart for evangelism. And and Steve, coming off of what you said, that is I think squarely in view is we we really need to be uh careful and hell handle delicately what we promise people and how we present jesus to people when proclaiming the gospel you know so if we're presenting a come to jesus and he'll make you happy come to jesus and he'll fix all your problems come to uh, someone's going to find that their life with christ uh, may tell an altogether different story and, and, and so, Wes, with evangelism, no being deep on, on your heart, how has uh, uh, Paul's method here, the reality that, that persecution and suffering is expected, has, has any of that shaped just the practicalities of how you uh, teach and, and train people or how you approach evangelism? Yeah, absolutely. Um, anytime I'm in a conversation with someone about the gospel, maybe they haven't come to Christ yet, I want to tell them the truth about God's Word. I want to tell them the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of salvation, and tell them the truth about sin in the world. But uh, I do want to follow up and say, look, you know, we're not out here proclaiming this message because now everything is perfect in our lives. It's not a uh, a situation where now we are no longer uh, afflicted by sin or we don't experience things and trials and tribulations in our lives that we as he'll talk about later, you know, in the book, you know, don't we still experience death and, and, and grief and all these things. Uh, and But in the midst of that, we have this fulfilling joy, this peace that, that surpasses all understanding that allows us to get through uh, life and to see the world the way God sees it from his eyes and through his perspective. And so I appreciate how Paul's honest on the front end about, listen, uh, you need to come to know Jesus, but uh, just know that that this is not a fix-all situation to where your life will no longer be challenged and you'll no longer suffer or be afflicted. That's good. And we, we uh, amidst this church's affliction and suffering, we really start to see Paul's— uh, he even says in verse 5, I, I can't stand it anymore. I've got to know. i got to mm-hmm. know what's happening. i got to know how they're doing. And so he says, for this reason, I could not stand. I sent, I sent him to find out about your faith. And look, Paul feared here. He said, fearing— Verse 5, 
that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing there it, it, it's interesting in ministry sometimes if you do it enough or, or you do enough gospel journey groups or, or you you whatever you feel like you're laboring for the lord you can almost become dull in the sense that it's a dutiful mechanism i'm doing what god's called me to do you lose sight of the fact that every single person we minister to is an individual that has you know their own trials their own tribulations and paul is never divorced from feeling that alongside the people that he's ministering to and i think it's a great discipleship principle and something to to try to emulate in our gospel journey groups is he genuinely loved this church wasn't just out for it to be successful didn't just care about how it performed and evangelism and stuff but he had a deep heart that he finally went i can't take it i've got to know how these people are doing because i care about them yeah, in verse 6 and 7, almost re, it's, it's the sigh of relief that Paul gets upon hearing the report. So in verse 6, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you. So Timothy has returned. Mostly Paul was in Corinth at this point. So Timothy's come back to them, and he brings them uh, this news. He says, And he brought us the good news of your faith and love reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason brothers and all our distress and afflictions we have been comforted about you through your faith so paul is saying hearing of your faithfulness it encourages us in the midst of the challenges and few things in my life encourage me more than whenever someone by god's grace i've been able to spend time with investing in some way and I see them really doing well in, in their faith, and they're faithful to the Lord, and they're growing in the Lord, and I hear that. And, and I think of, you know, some guys who I've uh, invested in for a season, and they move away, uh, go somewhere else, and I'll hear about how they're doing. That's one of the greatest delights that we can have in ministry is, is to hear that, and that can encourage us to keep enduring persecution, to keep enduring those uh, times in ministry where we look and we wonder like, what fruit do we see? What fruit is going to come out of this? It encourages us to continue to be faithful, and that's what Paul's rejoicing in. So really in verse 6, it starts to move to this uh, great joy and this great rejoicing that Paul has in this, in this encouraging report that they're doing well. Yeah, and you mentioned the word perseverance, which is which obviously crucial here to what Paul's talking about in this passage. And perseverance works on multiple levels. So uh, on, on the vertical level between us and God, God and the power of his spirit gives us the strength to persevere and our ongoing perseverance vindicates that we really do belong to the Lord. That's that's a that's a vertical way in which hor- perseverance operates. But horizontally, which just, uh, uh, you know, from from uh, human to human, person to person, perseverance is a gift we give one another. And I think that's what Paul's getting here. Uh, uh, and what you touched on, Steve, is that. When I see someone else persevering, when I hear their stories of struggle and how God brought them through, it brings a deep sense of confidence in me that God can also bring me through and will bring me through as well. And that's that that requires a depth of vulnerability to share those things with one another. But that's, that's sort of one of the reasons why these gospel journey groups were even formed is to share this type of thing that that. I, you know, when I was when I was low and when I was struggling, I didn't think I could make it. I heard the story of another believer and their perseverance and how God delivered them and brought them through. By sharing those things, we really give gifts to one another that strengthen and build others' faith. Yeah, I, I love that Paul is being encouraged. So when you you think about Paul, we especially put him on this, you know, high and lofty pedestal, and you're going, 
This is a, 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 a young church, a young group of believers, and Paul is being strengthened in his faith and encouraged by them. And, and we come to this verse 8, which is one of those key verses in, in this book. We've often turned to it. Uh, I've taught a lot overseas, but it says, For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And Paul's talking about, hey, for, for Paul, there's his life uh, has uh, joy. He senses that meaning. He senses that purpose of how the Lord's using him and seeing someone else stand firm. And again, in our lives, there's few greater joys than to watch someone that we've rubbed shoulders with, that we've uh, imparted something to in the name of the Lord, stand firm. That's a great joy. It is great joy when when brothers and sisters in Christ are abiding together in the Lord. And and you said it well just a minute ago, Steve. Uh, in my own personal experience, my soul has been ignited in such a way that can only be done whenever those I've discipled, like you said, have moved away, or in my case, I've I've moved away, and I hear reports of how they are standing fast in the Lord and how they're carrying on and they're um, doing things for the Lord. You know, it just it just reminds me that it was a beautiful time when we got to spend together, but it does it ignites my soul, and I think Paul. Uh, we all need to experience joy. We all want to reflect on the, the things that God has done in our past and with those that we have spent time with. And everyone loves to be joyful. There's, there's not a time, there's not a person on the planet doesn't love to experience joy, but this is deep, fulfilling, kind of soul-enriching joy that Paul's experiencing. Yeah, that's right. And as we move uh, through this, this section of, of, of 6 through 10, verse 10 is really the, the only... Uh, a confusing verse, I really think, in this passage at first glance. Uh, so he says, as we pray earnestly night and day to see you face to face, complete what is lacking in your faith. Well, that's a curious phrase that Paul would say that he hopes to see them again so that he can complete what is lacking in your faith. Now, most of us hear repeatedly, and it's biblically true, that we're saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. We think of faith at, uh, almost only as it relates to salvation. Mm-hmm. And and if that's true here, then 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 Paul would be saying to, to some degree that your salvation's not complete. I need to come and complete it. Well, that's a biblical impossibility. That that can't be what Paul means because Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of faith. He does the complete perfecting work of that. So uh, while this seems confusing on the front end, it, it's really not. If we simply understand faith here is almost being used as a as a catch-all term for their their growth and knowledge of the Lord. That Paul is saying we had to leave so quickly on the front end that I wasn't able to give you all the instruction that I wish I would have. Yeah, these are these are baby Christians who are passionate about the Lord and are doing well. And when Paul thinks about it, it brings a great joy to think of these uh, young believers um, who, you know, they don't understand all the deep deeper truths of who God is, but they're being faithful to Christ with what they have enduring persecution. Paul has this great desire like, you're doing well, and I have a great desire to come and see you face to face and continue to teach you, continue to help you grow to maturity. So again, faith here, and we have a mountain of evidence from the rest of Scripture. It's not it's not talking about in a salvific terms that they have something lacking in their salvation. What they have lacking is in their knowledge and understanding of the Lord fully, and he wants to come and help them grow to maturity. And, and that's an exciting thing, and that's often in our gospel journey groups. That's who we're working with. We're working with people who uh, we're supplying what's lacking their faith in this sense. They're already 
believers, so many of them, but we're able to come and help them grow to maturity, and that's a great joy uh, to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I have found, and I'm only 35, I've been a Christian for probably 19 years, really didn't even start, I read the Bible, I had no clue what it was talking about until it was taught to me, beginning when I was about 22, so if I just take the last 13 years, I'm really as amazed at, at, on, on a continual basis at the depth and insight that is in God's Word. It, it's, it's impossible to exhaust it. So you may think that you are almost at some level a Bible expert, you've been in it for a long time, and, and, and part of the challenge is the longer we walk with the Lord, actually still believing there are things for us to learn. And even in leadership, whether it's gospel journey group or heck, an elder at this church, whatever it may be, uh, there's a sense of teachability that I think reflects a a spirit that's walking with the Lord. And while he's saying it's obvious for the Thessalonian church that there are things for them to learn, he's even going to tell us later what those things are. I mean, there's some very specific things he's got to keep instructing them on. Uh, just by implication, this verse should uh, spark in us uh a remembrance or, or the reality that we too, even if we're teaching, have not yet arrived when it comes to the completion uh, of a knowledge of the Lord. Back to why Timothy was sent. He uses the word in the ESV that he was sent to establish and exhort you in your faith. Uh, and then not to jump ahead, but in the next verses, it's going to say that God may establish your heart. So Paul's praying for that. Uh, kind of looked at that word establish up in the Greek, and it means to set firm into place. Now, I recently bought a home, and in, in researching the home, we discovered that uh, back in 2004, the foundation began to slip. The soil beneath the foundation was sliding, and so they came in, and they put a bunch of, like, 36 iron pillars to uh, help establish that foundation. And uh, when I was studying this letter, it just made me think that uh, we, as gospel, uh, as disciple makers in, in, involved in a gospel journey, like we are there to help establish each other in the faith, to kind of set firm that foundation, that salvation foundation uh, that, that does require faith and, and is kind of once and for all. Uh, but we are growing in our faith. And so Timothy, Paul, they're helping establish the Thessalonians in their faith. Uh, and then that's, as you mentioned earlier, Jamie, a vertical and a horizontal relationship. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing in these gospel journeys that, that we're sharpening each other and helping each other, uh, our faith be established in, in uh, the things of the Lord, the things of God's Word. And did you plan Salvation Foundation? That was pretty good. It sounds like a good, you know, Sunday school class. This, this is my first podcast. I'm as nervous as a cat in a wolf pack. So that was, that was, that was unplanned. <laughs> Salvation Foundation coming soon to a classroom in the new building Amen. led by Wes Seleglin. Um, these first three chapters, what Paul's really been, he's celebrating the faithfulness of the Thessalonians. So that, and, and that's been the, the, the big overarching idea of these first three chapters in many ways. And uh, he's about to move in chapter four to really challenging them to grow. But between that, in, in verses 11 and 13, he's going to close out chapter three and really this first section. So it's sort of a bridge. He does a prayer. And this book has three prayers in it, one in the beginning, one in the middle, and one at the end, and this prayer here is a prayer for endurance, mm -hmm. uh, that God would increase their love, their holiness, and, and their hope. So after all this uh, celebrating the faithfulness of the Thessalonians, Paul just in the middle of the book stops and prays a prayer for them of endurance. He's moved to prayer in the midst of this, and 
I find that encouraging. I think whenever we think of those that, uh, you know, that we've had an opportunity to uh, be a part of their life and invest in in some way, when we think about it, it should move us to, to pray for them and pray that they would continue to endure and pray that they would continue to do well and that they would continue to seek the Lord. So that's what Paul does, and I, I think it's a great way to um, sort of end this section. Yeah, and he doesn't, it's not, it is a great point that he is moved to prayer. It It's also striking what he actually prays because mm-hmm. he just comes off an, uh, the reality of their persecution, the affliction, and yet when he prays, he doesn't, uh, beseech the Lord to bring an end to it. Mm-hmm. He simply prays that they would be established and persevere through it. Now, if I'm writing this, and praise God I didn't, well, it wouldn't have made it in if I did. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I'm praying that it stops. I mean, let's get real. Oh, yeah. I'm praying that the circumstances change and it stops. Paul, does, does it, he doesn't even have a hint of that. He just prays that they would be established and they would persevere through it. And not only that, he prays that they would grow in their love for one another. Now, I think that's a key point. Uh, and now it's a careful point we have to make because it's really, it's just much easier to punt evangelism and uh, uh, do life inside an insulated Christian uh, uh, existence at times. The Bible clearly is focused on the gospel getting to the ends of the earth. Like evangelism is a non-negotiable. And yet at the same time, you can at, at run the risk of being so evangelistically focused that you lose sight that the Bible actually commands Christians to take care of one another and to love one another. And so our pursuit of non-Christians is, is absolutely biblical. It's, it's essential. It's what Christ models for us. And yet at the same time, what Paul prays for this church is that their bonds and love with one another would, would grow deep. Well, and it, and, and, I think that's even a part of evangelism is if we're loving one another well and people see that there is a, 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 a draw, you, you want to, to know that and, and that draws people uh, and, and God uses that to bring people to himself is that community. So here I love that he is praying not so much for their circumstance. He doesn't touch that. And that's what we often pray for. I, I'm, I pray for circumstantial stuff. Paul prays for who you are stuff, your character how you live, who you are in Christ. Right. And I, I think that's, as people we invest in, we're more concerned with praying for you being holy, you being Christ-like, who you are. Because if you're the right, if, if you're growing in Christ-likeness, whatever circumstances you are, you'll be able to, to walk through it and navigate it no matter how tough it is. Uh, we often want to change the, the circumstances before we want to us be changed or see somebody else changed. Yeah, and and. and you mentioned holiness, and he prays exactly for that in verse 13, that their hearts be blameless in holiness, which is a fitting way, uh, obviously intentional way, that he ends this prayer because when he shifts to chapter 4, they're going to start to come some commands and a, a, a remembrance of commands that he previously gave them, and he gave them to them for holiness. And so those that's and this we'll be able to unpack next week when we look at chapter four is the fact that the pursuit of holiness and the existence of commands, that's not a legalistic rigidity. That is a gift given. And Paul here uh, in in synced up with this prayer of their holiness is actually trying to practically show them how that holiness um, um how they can grow in that, how their sanctification and Christ likeness can increase. Uh, Wes and Steve, thanks for uh, being here. 
this week to talk about First Thessalonians chapter 3. We look forward to next week as we get into chapter 4.